My name is Ryan Smith. And my name is Shannon Hartley. You're listening to the Eastern Oregon Connection, a show celebrating small town community and highlighting the people that make it great. We'll be talking with local business owners, nonprofits, city leaders, farmers, and a host of other interesting people. We hope you'll join us for some personal stories, laughs, local news and events, and an all-around good time. This is the EO Connection. Connection. Welcome into the Eastern Oregon Connection. This is Shannon Hartley. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing great, my friend. Good. Well, we had an um, awesome conversation with Jack Remillard, and uh, just a great guy, great storyteller, um, guy who's been around the Pendleton area for a long time. Um, Ryan, what'd you take away from it? Well, I knew that we were going to talk about the Iron Show and the Heritage Station Museum a little bit today, but... I, I was really surprised to to hear a lot of the you know the military service competitive shooting. Jack's also quite an outdoorsman. Yeah, yeah. So this is I mean it was a really fun, cool episode, and uh, as I mentioned before, just a really cool storyteller. So why don't we get into it? Let's do it. Definitely, second <laughs> season I've done quite a bit of, and I just never know what to think as far as. You know, the weather always starts to be a factor when the winter starts to come in. But also, mm-hmm. you know, you're coming at the very last stretch of what's been kind of a long, you know, summer and fall for those those deer and elk and stuff. Yeah. And so it's hard to know what, what that effect that has had on them already throughout yeah, the season. Yeah, th- at that stage, you know, it's <clears throat> close to rutting time and yeah. they're kind of getting antsy and, you know, it's yeah. it's funny. Yeah. Spike only, of course, is a makes it a big challenge, too, yeah. typically for the that second season, but yeah. So if you, what, uh, would you say hunting would be your choice for outdoor activity? Are you a fisherman? What do you like oh, to do? When I was a kid, I liked to fish more than I liked to hunt. Yeah. Cause you know, when you're younger, you can go out and go fishing by yourself pretty easy, but going hunting, it takes a little bit of a process. So until I was mm, in high school, or even later, I didn't really do a, a lot of Big game hunting. Did a lot of rabbit hunting when I was in high school, but yeah, and that was just the accessibility, just easy to step out your back door and go rabbit hunting. Yeah, well, my <laughs> my brother liked to hunt, so we'd go out Coons Canyon and shoot rabbits out there all the time. And mm-hmm. now the rabbits have kind of gone away around here. Used to be able to drive out thirty seven when I was a kid at night, and you couldn't help but hit two or three rabbits going from. Pendleton to Hermiston or something. Oh, no kidding. They got smart. Yeah, they were just everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's, it's you see them, but not very often. Yeah. Jeez, and what do you point that at? Do you yeah. point it at snakes? Do you point it at people? Do you point, I mean, do you have but, any thoughts? Say again now? On just where, where, the reason that they're not there so much as they used to be, do you think it's... I think a lot of it's the, all the farming operations that are going on out there now, because oh, okay. back when I was a kid, it was just a lot of sagebrush. You know, they, oh, sure, just, they just habitat have loss. Any, uh, none of the circles were in then, and... Mm. So, <clears throat> yeah, the circles started coming in about the time I got out of high school, I think. And mm. then, uh, but yeah, it was, I mean, you could step out of your rig and shoot. We'd, we'd bring home, you know, 10, 15 cottontails. And I love cottontails. They're good to eat. But, yeah. But now, you know, we have <clears throat> some that run around our place out there and we mm-hmm. don't shoot them. We just watch them just watch them do their thing how do you you like stew or how do you do them up i think we fried them all the time oh okay when i was a kid sure i don't think i've actually haven't had rabbit but i've heard that that's a pretty pretty rich good good meat yeah cottonwood or cotton (coughs) 
cocktails. <laughs> they were pretty good to eat. Yeah. We never ate any jackrabbits. I don't know why, but we just didn't. Sure. But they weren't quite as plentiful. I remember uh, the first one I got, first jackrabbit I got, I just bought a, I was 12 years old, and I bought a, a uh, Ruger 1022 that it took me all summer long to pay for it, working in <laughs> bucking hay bales for my uncle, and uh, took it out hunting, and I'm walking through the brush out there at Coombs Canyon, and I'm going along, and I got it down here, and this jackrabbit ran out right in front of me, you know, three feet. And I just went, bang, bang, bang. Got him. <laughs> well, Quick reaction. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, for the listeners, uh, this is Ryan and Shannon. We're sitting to in today with our friend Jack Remillard. Uh, so how are we doing today, Jack? Great. Um, we, mm. we wanted to be sure that that's how you pronounce your last name, correct? Yes. Okay. Remillard. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's not Remillard. Not Remillard. That's what I, you know, yeah, that's what I was not, asking uh, Ryan. I was like, is it Remillard or Remillard? I've heard that a lot. <laughs> and uh, But most of the time, it, most People pronounce it right. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I guess, you know, a couple things we're excited to get to today in our conversations is the Old Iron Show and the Heritage Station Museum. But I wanted to start with, you know, a little backstory. Have, have you always been, a, you know, born and bred in Pendleton here? And Well, we moved here from uh, all the way from Milton Freewater in 59 when I was six. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you didn't get too <clears throat> far. Long, long ways away. Yeah. Well, my mom was a, a, a telephone operator over there, and they... Decided to close that office, and they said they they'd send her anywhere in the state or wherever she wanted to go in the Northwest, I think. Mm. But she wanted to come to Pendleton because her uncle Dean Forth or her brother Dean Forth um, had a cattle ranch down below Wreath, and she loved the Pendleton Roundup, so that's where we came. What about your old man? My dad. Yeah. They were divorced at the time, oh, okay. and. Uh, I didn't really know him until I was about six years old, mm. after we'd moved to Pendleton. So that was kind of that. So Sure. So it was you and mom settling in here to Pendleton then? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she had four kids to raise by herself. Oh, boy. Whew. I had a, an older brother, Jay. He's four years older than me. <clears throat> and uh, and then two younger uh, brother and sister. Wow. Yeah. And she... And working full time. Yeah. She uh, she worked for the phone company, and then in the early '60s, she uh, she went to work at the East Oregonian, doing whatever you needed to do down there. Uh, <clears throat> as uh, the way she did it was she she'd go to work at eight in the morning till about noon at the phone company, and then she'd go to the EO and work there from for about three four hours. And then she'd go back to the phone company for another four hours, did that every day for 20-some years, 26 or 7 years she did that. Wow. Just yeah. a hard worker. Yeah. So, and what, so did, what, did, what did you kids find yourself selves doing most days? Screwing around. <laughs> <laughs> now, when I come home, I want this house cleaned up. Okay, Mom. You know, well, that rarely happened. But oh, really? Yeah. Would you <clears throat> latchkey kid, was that a phrase you guys threw around? Just kind of out running around and yeah, a lot of the time uh, it it showed in that uh, <clears throat> we uh, I was the only one that graduated high school out of all those kids, and you know we just pretty much ran wild. We did pretty much what we wanted to do. Everyone and else just kind of went into the family business or, or, or into farming or no, uh, didn't really 
Uh, I, it's it, when I was about nine years old. We, of course, when my when my mom would go out and work with my uncle, mm-hmm. they'd drive cattle and from Wreath clear up to Seven Mile on Mackay Creek, if you know where Seven Mile is, <clears throat> and. Uh, she loved to go on those cattle drives, and, of course, we'd get to go once in a while. Well, I started walking along with them, and it's it's a long ways from there to there. It takes three days to drive the cows up there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was so much fun for me being eight, nine years old that I really got used to it. So <clears throat> I remember I was riding with my uncle one day in his pickup, and I, I asked him if I could come to work for him. And I'm nine years old. And he says, well, you know, what can you do? Well, I don't know. You know so <laughs> Whatever he, you need me to do. <laughs> yeah. Before the freeway went in and where uh, the prison is now, it was a state hospital then. Yeah, I remember that. There was about 90 acres back there that that he had in alfalfa that he rented from the state, rented the ground from the state. And uh, he grew alfalfa out there, and that's what he raised the hay for his cattle. Mm-hmm. And he had about 1,100 head then, <clears throat> Herefords. And so I went to work out there during the summer. I'd drive the truck in the field. And my cousin Ted and his friend Frank Maness, they'd stack the hay on the truck, and I'd drive along, and the, the hay, had, you know, the bales would go up the loader, and I'd try not to run over them. And, is it, know, is this when you were nine you were driving? Yeah, that's when I started. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I was times wondering what you what, needed to reach the pedals, yeah. Yeah, times yeah. aren't what they used to be. Yeah, <laughs> no. I, I, love I remember that. hanging on the wheel and, you know, looking out the window and all of that. And yeah. I remember one time I, I, you know, they always say don't set the brake in the field. Well, I didn't know. I just So I pulled back on the brake because I didn't want to move while I was sitting somewhere. And we go to take off, and and <laughs> next thing I know, there's smoke boiling up in the cab from the emergency brake. You're just burning dragging. up the field yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I get in trouble for that, but you know that's how it goes. Uh huh. You mentioned um, that you were the only of the four siblings to graduate, right? Mm-hmm. So what do you what do you think it was that pushed you to want to graduate? Well, to me, I think a lot of it was growing up out there on the on the farm with Dean. He was the kind of guy that was very conservative type of person, him and his wife both. <clears throat> he had come from absolutely nothing to 1,100 head of cattle and 35,000 acres worth of property. Mm-hmm. And so, he, you know, I listened to what he had to say, and, and I idolized him, of course. He was just the greatest guy to me. And I just, uh, I just wanted to do better. His, his kids were doing well and going to college and all of that. And I knew I'd never be able to go to college. So I just, I I think that one of the real driving factors was I didn't want to be what other family members, not just in my immediate family, but other family members that I was around every once in a while, I didn't want to be like them. Mm. I wanted to do better. So I... I barely made it through high school. Um, you know, Lonnie Reed is. Lonnie Reed, you said? Yeah. The accountant? Yeah. Yeah, CPA, yep. Right, yeah. Lonnie was, uh, he was in our class too, me and Dean and all them guys. Yeah. Foquette, hey, Dean. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, at graduation, when you 
back then you needed 15 credits to graduate from high school. Well, I had 15 and a half. <laughs> so at graduation, we're sitting here and uh, Lonnie was right next to me and I forget what the other kid's name that was on the other side. So they're going through the list, you know, and they get to Lonnie Reed. Lonnie Reed, this auditorium and that auditorium. Oh, yeah. Award, that award and all these other things. Jack Remillard. Next guy, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah. you know, but uh, I did it. You know, I, I was happy that I got through because I didn't want to go back. That's for sure. Sure, yeah. Hey, you, you overachieved <laughs> yeah. in my book. Yeah. You only need a fifteen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure it's different now how they do it, but that's what we needed then. Was fifteen credits? That's what you had to work for. So yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think we ever were on a credit system, were we? I, gosh, I, I don't know what the standards were. It didn't seem like it was, uh, I only remember. I just know there were certain classes that you've had to have passed to meet the competencies and then, you know, SATs and all that's just for college placement, yeah. I guess. But, yeah. but yeah, so, so you worked on the farm early, you know, that sounds like a strong mentor in your life that you had growing yeah. up. You, you, you duped it out and got through school at, where does this take you? I mean, do you have a career life choice in mind or? Well, when I was in the seventh grade, all I wanted to do was be a cowboy then, you know, because yeah. I worked with Dean a lot, and I'd go out, I'd ride my bike out there just about every weekend and help feed cows or do something with the cows, whatever it was. So I really liked doing all that. But I soon learned that Dean was paying me three fifty a day back then. When I, when I started out when I was nine years old, he was paying me three fifty a day. And like I say, he was a pretty conservative guy. So when I kind of quit going out there, <clears throat> which was actually the summer that we graduated. Um, he was still paying me three fifty a day. Maybe that's all I was worth. I don't know. <laughs> but his his wife was a wonderful cook, so I'd eat my wages and There food. you go. But uh, um, I didn't really have anything in mind when I got out of high school. I <clears throat> about, <clears throat> I think it was in April of 71, a uh, good friend of ours, uh, Billy Tequila, a bunch of the guys were floating down the river up above the bridge out there at Mission, mm -hmm. and he drowned. And it just broke our hearts, all of us. It was a terrible thing to see and to have happen, you know. Now, I know so, the name Ralph Tequila. Would this be like his father or? Uh, Ralph Tequila, that's still alive now. Yeah. Is, that's his brother. brother. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so he yeah. drowned. <clears throat> yeah. Mm -hmm. So Billy drowned. So I felt so bad about it. I went out and talked to his dad and asked him if I could work out there that summer to, to make up for Bill not being around. Yeah. They, they had a, their own farm or ranch. Yeah. Or... They, they farm out uh, Wild Horse Creek a ways. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So I went out there and worked <laughs> the summer. And uh, when summer was over, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I, I, I uh, but my mom insisted that I go to BMCC, so and I didn't want to go too bad. But I thought, well, okay, I was tired of going to school, you know. So, oh, yeah. but I had to figure out what I was going to do with my life. So, <clears throat> I I went up and started working with the. Uh, uh, we started taking classes for the, the diesel program. Oh, diesel. I would have guessed the ag stuff, but diesel mechanic, and that makes sense too. Yeah, sure. well, I, I, I don't know why, but my dad was always a good mechanic, and my older, my, my older brother on my dad's side, uh, he, was, he was a mechanic. So, and I, I, when I was in high school, I put a V8 in a Jeep and 
through mud like hell wouldn't have it. That was a great time. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, I was just to working on things like that. So I gave it a try, and and I was I went to school there for a couple months, and and enjoyed the 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 practical part of it, the diesel mm -hmm. stuff and all of that. But all the other classes you had to take, like English and basket weaving and all that crap, you know, I just <laughs> basket weaving, yeah, uh, just it, I just couldn't make myself go to those classes. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, this isn't working out. And my brother, my my second oldest brother. On my dad's side, I have my sister and two brothers. My sister was born in 30. My mom was born in 24. So they were only six years apart. My dad was 48, I think, when I was born. So <clears throat> anyway, that worked. so I was kind of distant from those guys. And my, my older brother on that side, he was born, I think, in 44, 45. And my younger brother on that side, he was born in 47. I was born in 53, so there's quite a bit of difference there. Sure. But anyway, <clears throat> I uh, kind of forgot where I was going with all this. But when I, when <laughs> well, you I, settled into diesel mechanicing, but you decided that yeah, you know, the general I, I, studies to go with it didn't make sense for you. Yeah, my I, I had worked uh, a little bit, gone over and <clears throat> not necessarily worked, but stayed. My dad was working for a wheat ranch over around Clyde, and I'd gone over and stayed with him for a week or two during the summer, and I was over there during harvest um, at some point, and uh, my older, or my brother Pete, Pierre, who is my, he, he it was Pat, my sister, and Mike, and Pete, and Pete, Pete had, uh, joined the Navy and got into the SEALs, and he was a SEAL at that time. And, you know, gosh, it sounded like a neat deal to me. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, I don't know, maybe I can do that. So I thought, well, maybe I should join the Navy. But I didn't necessarily join to be a SEAL. I just wanted to join because I felt it was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. Vietnam was winding down, and all of my grown-up years, all I could— the only thing I can remember is uh, about a lot of that was all the protests that went on against the Vietnam War back in the 60s. Yeah. And I grew up in the hippie era and, thank God, in the muscle car era. <laughs> and uh, so that's, that kind of thing was on my mind. And, and I don't know whether I'm just a patriotic guy or what, but it just it seemed wrong to me that those guys were um, protesting against us going over there and helping those other people out. Mm. It just seemed wrong to me. So yeah. I thought, well, <clears throat> I guess I'll against, join the Navy. Fighting against communism. Pardon me? Fighting against communism. And, yeah. You know. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, you, you hear all the, of course, at that age, I was 13, 14 years old, you know, and, you know, I, I'd seen the movie Patton. It was, it, it brings out of you what you don't think is in there until you, you really, you know, pay attention to it. Patton is in the the biographical film that documents the general during World War II. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So yeah, I've, I, I've heard so many <clears throat> stories of soldiers coming back from Vietnam, and they're just, you know, the protesters just giving it to them. Oh God. And them yeah. finding it so hard to come back into a regular life in the U.S. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the, it's hard enough coming back from. From, from war, yeah. Exactly. And then to come back and get spit on? Exactly. Bullshit. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the, I mean, the controversy of the time also with the draft and stuff like that, but you enlisted voluntarily, it sounds right. like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think my number was 280 something. I forget now. But, <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> Interesting. So anyway, yeah, I, I uh, so I decided to join the Navy and, and I was, I was 18 then. <clears throat> I thought, well, I'm tired of going to school. I'm going to join the Navy. I don't have to go to school. In the Navy. <laughs> Big mistake there. <laughs> so I joined the Navy and I've written uh, quite a few little short stories about things that happened in boot camp and all that. It's great reading. But Yeah, where ooh. can we find that? Pardon me? Where can we find your writing? I'll send you some if you want them. Yeah. yeah. Is it available to the public somewhere we can find it? Or? For, well, I don't know, maybe, but I've sent it to a lot of people, so I'll email them to you. Yeah. Have you done just like, uh, so short stories right. independently published, or have you had anything no. bound in books? Or I've had a lot of people say, God, you should write a book. I don't know how to write a book, so, you know, I just wrote a, it's one paragraph to, you know, a couple, three pages, but of different things that... Mm-hmm. Went on during boot camp and later on and all that. Yeah. Can you can you can you share a little snippet? Maybe maybe one of the stories from boot camp. Well, let me see. Boot camp. Well, this is one that my my kids love this story. So, uh, when you first get to San Diego, when you, Camp when you, Pendleton. Pardon me. Uh, camp Pendleton. No, that's Marines. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's I, in uh, San Diego, though, right? Pardon me. It's in San Diego, though, right? Camp Pendleton? Am I Pendleton, wrong about that? I think it's north. It's somewhere between... Is it more north? It yeah. might be between San Diego and L.A. somewhere. Oh, I can't okay. remember, but it's in Cali for sure. Got yeah, it. somewhere up there. Anyway, I, uh, we each had a billet number. Mine was 44, and the reason I remembered it, because I, I just before I went in the Navy, I bought a uh, Ruger 44 carbine. Great little rifle. So I could remember 44. And you got to remember everything, boy, or you'll be doing a thousand push-ups. So, <laughs> so we're all, we, we go to breakfast, and we'd been there, I don't know, two or three weeks, and we're all nervous as hell, of course. And so we go into breakfast, and you come out, you're supposed to get on your billet number. Okay, so we get out there, and I'm standing there. And, <clears throat> and this was in December, and it's still pretty warm in San Diego in December. So I'm standing out there, and, a couple of other guys come out. We're standing around. This one guy had a bad cold. Next thing I know, he hawks up a big loogie and poof, spits her out there. Here comes the seagulls. Oh. <laughs> they started eating on that. And one of the guys, he just couldn't take it. And up comes breakfast. <laughs> yep. Eggs, bacon, orange juice, the whole shittery. <laughs> so, uh and then, of course, the eagles were all, or the seagulls were all over that. <laughs> and then next guy, he sees it and he pukes. Just a and chain so, reaction. Yeah. Before long, there was two or three of them, and finally, we just had to move over a little bit, <laughs> get out of it all. And but you can't do anything, of course, unless you ask permission or yeah. you're supposed to do it or something, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, it's a great story. Yeah. Do you think joining the Navy was any part? Because I feel like. A lot of people, it's almost like a way to get out of the area that you've always lived in, do you, or to travel. Do you feel like any part of it was that for you? I, I, I do, but I don't think I joined for that reason. Yeah. But, but once I got away, you know, I was, I'm pretty easy to get along with a guy, and uh, it, uh, um, I was uh, probably pretty naive, more than 
a lot of people would be, I think, because of just my upbringing and, and being from a small town and all that. So I didn't know what to expect, really, when I got to San Diego. And, and then when I left San Diego, I went to Port Wenemi, which is just out of L.A., where I went to A school, got into the CBs and, and uh, became a mechanic. And but I, I felt nervous, pretty nervous the whole time I was in, in uh, Port Wenemi. I was there for about three, four months. And uh, it just, and because we'd hear all the stories about people getting spit on and, you know, cans thrown at them and stuff, the guys coming back from Vietnam. So I'm walking down the street one day and uh, I'm pretty leery about the big city anyway because I'm the new guy. Mm -hmm. And I go walk or walk along the sidewalk and there's a four lane road next to me. And I hear this car coming all of a sudden, kapow. And it just backfired, but I thought I was getting shot at. <laughs> so it really, I mean, I don't think I went off the base after that because mm. it just worried me so much. So, but then uh, once I once I got out of out of uh, Port Wenemi, out of the school there, there was I don't know thirty some of us in the class, <clears throat> and the way you got to pick from a set of orders was how you ranked in the class. So I thought, well, I guess I better stay on top of things here and maybe I can go where I want to go. So I ended up eighth in the class and there was orders to a, 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 a battalion and I, I talked to one of the guys that had been in a while one day and he said, don't go to a battalion, go to a, a public workstation someplace. Okay. I didn't know anything. So he said, you'll like that better. Okay. So when uh, the orders were set up there and you, we got to pick, when it came my turn, there was orders for Alaska. And I thought, shit, I'm going to go to Alaska hunting, fishing, sign me up. Alaska <laughs> so, frontier, uh, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So I, uh, I looked at the orders there and it said, ADAC Alaska. And I thought, okay, I don't know where ADAC was, but. I thought, okay, I'll take that. So I put my down my name down for ADAC Alaska. And then when uh, uh, later on, I don't know, sometime later, a day or two later, I found this big atlas and I'm looking through it and I'm looking at Alaska and I'm looking around for <coughs> ADAC. And I said, oh, where's ADAC here? And I looked down on the Aleutian chain and Jesus, it's clear down here at the bottom. <laughs> right down at the bottom where that J ends down there is right there. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> okay, so, and that was that was uh, July of 72 is when I went up there. I flew up there and, and uh, of course, they had drummed into your head in boot camp anywhere, everywhere you're at. You can't be AWOL. You got to be where you're supposed to be at the time. Don't miss ship movement and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so I was supposed to be there on the on the second of July or whatever it was. <clears throat> so I get to Anchorage. No, we're not flying out there until the fifth of July because it's the holiday and it's weekend and and it's only one flight a day, of course, or or every. I, mean, I think they flew out there a couple three times a week or something like that. Hmm. So I thought, oh God, I'm going to be doing push-ups forever. I'll be thrown to the brig. And, <laughs> and, so I uh, finally get out there and get off the plane and and I've got some more great stories about ADAC too I'll send you those too sure 
And uh, and it's Adak is what they call the birthplace of the winds. Of the winds? Yeah. Okay. And you better believe it. No it kidding. Is, it is constantly like it's outside today. Yeah. That's what the weather looks like 90% of the time. And just open Arctic Ocean air just blowing in, I'm sure. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And uh, the Japanese currents come up there, so the water is not really cold. It doesn't really get real cold up there. But the wind blows constantly, and it's always cloudy. And we might have seen the sun, you know, three, four weeks the whole three uh, years I was up there. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. Yeah. Can you speak to the, like, the seasonal shifts, too? Did you have some of those, like, 20-hour, you know, daylight and, like, 20-hour really, darkness? Didn't really have that. You there. didn't get those? It's, it's about on the same <clears throat> longitude as uh, the British top of Columbia. Washington. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So, so it's, it's not like up there it's real between, far. Sure. like, Vancouver and Seattle, something like that yeah. in that area. And yeah. you didn't get to have, like, a... a Backcountry Alaska experience then fishing. The, Not really. Yeah. Well, we, uh, the island was, I don't know, it's it's so rough, 30 by 20 miles or something like that. <clears throat> mm -hmm. And, uh, but we did go out and go hiking quite a bit, me and a friend of mine up there. Nice. But, uh, and I mean, the I'd been there two days and Caught a salmon, and I thought, well, this is where I want to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they had uh, some caribou up there. They brought caribou up there in the 50s, and they planted them, and they'd done real well. You could shoot two a year. Yeah, so caribou are not native to Alaska, huh? Not to Adak. Oh, okay, sure. Just on the island. They, yeah. Okay, they brought them over from, like, mainland Alaska, yeah. and so yeah. they had success in that area, you see. Yeah. Uh -huh. <clears throat> they had some silver fox up there, too, that— They'd brought out there. Somebody had started a farm with them way back when. Mm. And, of course, they got loose, and that was that. But yeah. there weren't too many of them around. I, I can't recall ever seeing any any fox, but some of the guys had seen them. Ptarmigan, my God, the ptarmigan were everywhere. Are those like game birds that you'd hunt? Yeah, they're or? about the size of a grouse. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Okay. You could shoot 20 of those a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. And they were dumber boards. You'd, they, <laughs> during the spring— they would still be white, and the snow had been melted off, and the ground was still brown. Well, shoot, they'd fly up, and you'd drop a couple, and they'd fly over, you know, a couple hundred yards, and you'd walk over there. Just and walk and push them. And shoot some more, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. And the fishing was just unbelievable. I never was skunked. Re never wow. skunked. Never. Yeah. Always came home with something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was. Uh, and you could catch, really, you could keep anything you caught, but. We'd fish the cricks and catch dollies and small trout and, and smoke them. And uh, in the when the uh, when the salmon were running, they were humpies. And uh, they weren't real big. They might if you got one twenty seven inches or so, that was a big one. Yeah. And but man, they they'd come swimming by, and we'd use lightest tackle as we could use. Oh, six, just to get them fighting. Yeah, six pound line and flip it out there and and uh you'd see them swim by and you'd wait out for a ways and cast it out there and hook one or two and yeah. take them up to the chow hall and they'd cook them for us and yeah. oh wow yeah it was great yeah no yeah hopefully uh my trip to alaska isn't going to be by way of uncle sam but i look forward to a trip yeah. over there someday yeah <laughs> yeah so the extent of your of your service was done in alaska then or yeah i uh i uh, see i went up there in july of of 72 and left there in October of 75. Wow. 
And I guess, you know, Veterans Day was last week, so a chance to say thanks for your service, and um, appreciate we appreciate it. it. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, it was, you know, I'd, I'd do it again today if I could. It would be, there's a lot of times when I wish I'd stayed in, but I didn't do too bad on when I got out, too, so. Yeah. Did you go straight into diesel mechanic and then after your time? I guess, you know, you, you had the military service and, and a bunch of experience with that, right? So. Yeah, I, uh, well, I got to tell about my shooting. That was always fun. Yeah. <clears throat> when I, uh, I'd been up there for, oh, six, eight months and, and they had a, they were going to start forming the rifle and pistol team. And I thought, right, sounds like fun. Just competitive shooting or? Yeah. Okay. So I, uh, I got into that and they said, bring whatever weapons you got and we'll, See how you do, and we'll just go from there. Okay, so I brought my all I had then was my ten twenty two. So took it out to the range. The range was a, it was a, the building was probably, I don't know, seventy five feet long and maybe fifty feet wide, and it was mostly a pistol range. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> um, we we shot at fifty feet. And they, uh, you know, one, that first day, I remember they, they, they said, okay, you know, shoot down range a little bit. We'll see what you do. So I've been shooting with my 22 and, and I'm doing pretty good, you know. <clears throat> so they said, okay, here, um, drive 45. Okay. I'd never shot a 45 before. So in a, a stock 45, if you can hit the wall from here to there, it's pretty good. Uh, a forty-five handgun, or is it a... Yeah, a forty-five ACP. Yeah, it was like a 1911 or... Right. Okay. Yeah. Because they're they're awful loose. The barrels are loose, and they're, you know, they, they're not, they weren't built, built for accuracy. Yeah. However, they do have some, they had some there that, that they did build for accuracy, and uh, once they got you to where you could halfway hold a group with a... With a, just a regular forty-five, then they'd give you one of those accurized ones. And no, I'll tell you, I it took me a while, but I got to be pretty decent with it. Yeah. The matches we'd go from, well, we held a match our, on on ADAC, and then from that they would build a team of I think four guys on the rifle team, four guys on the pistol team. Well, I was good enough to be on both of them, <clears throat> so we went from ADAC to Elmendorf in Anchorage. And we shot in competition there, and I think I took. Uh, I think the first year I took first in the in the rifle and second in the pistol, and then from there you went to Whidbey Island, and shot at the naval base there. And I don't remember where I placed, but I was good enough to go on to San Diego, which was a Pacific Fleet match. So you got the Pacific Fleet match and the and the. Uh, Atlantic Fleet match and then the All Navy match. Mm -hmm. So I go to to San Diego and uh, did okay, but not good enough to go on to the All Navy match. Did that in '73. So '74 rounds around, and and I'm gonna I'm gonna do better. So I did do better, but there was another guy that did just a little bit better than me, <laughs> and and so again I didn't make it to the All Navy match. So the third year, 75, I thought, well, this is my last chance unless I re-up. <clears throat> so I really concentrated on trying to do better. Once we got 
through, I think, uh, <clears throat> I shot at, uh, I shot at Whidbey Island with the, with the M1, but then when we got to San Diego, I just concentrated on the 45. And they had what they had, what they called the excellence in the competition match. And if you placed, I, I think it was uh, first and second was gold, third through whatever was silver, and then from there back a ways further, you got a bronze. Mm. Well, I never did make it into any of those in prior years. So in 75, I really made myself buckle down. And, and there's so many things that I learned just by uh, figuring it out, how to hold still and and get on your target and just all those things, you know, I've kind of forgotten a lot of them now, but it, uh, it still comes back to you if you think about it hard. But Yeah. So we get to San Diego the last time, and I'm the the you got you shot three three phases: a slow fire, time fire, and rapid fire. Slow fire, you got a minute per round. You got you shot ten rounds. Mm. Uh, time fire, you got five rounds in twenty seconds. You did that twice, and in time fire, you got five rounds in ten seconds, and you did that twice. Mm. You shot 50 foot at the, the slow fire, 25 feet at the timed and the rapid fire. And 25 feet is a long ways with a 45. Yeah. With any pistol. You know, mm -hmm. and hit, you know, the, the X was like this and, oh, yeah. and then on out. The intention is just to personally defend yourself. And, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I go down there and I'm, I'm concentrating on, okay, dumbass do everything right now don't forget to do this and don't forget to do that because you have to change your sights and do things like that you know that if you forget one little thing you're you're out right you know? so <clears throat> so i shoot the the time fire or the the slow fire and i did pretty good i thought maybe i'm gonna get some worse so i get into the time fire shot there and again i did all right by golly so we get to the rapid fire, and rapid fire is, it's, it's bang, bang, bang. It's that quick. You got to let that recoil settle. And, and, you're, just, and you're shooting you're, at a yeah. thing this big around with yeah. a 45, you know. Mm -hmm. And I did pretty good. I thought, shit, maybe I'm going to be all right. So I go in, <laughs> and, I, and I hand my scorecard in and walk away. And so the next day, they have all the awards and everything for everybody. Uh, first guy, whatever his name was, he got first place. Next guy, Jack Remillard. I would say, what? Wow. <laughs> You're kidding. I took second place out of 92 shooters that day. Nice. So I felt pretty damn good about that. Heck yeah. So I got to go to the Old Navy match. So I'll go back to uh, Protection River, Maryland. <clears throat> and uh, so uh, shooting in, in the... We're, doing some practice rounds, you know. And I get to the time fire, and I shot, and I'd be damned if I didn't clean the target. And I wished I'd have saved that target, but of course I didn't. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I hit it every time. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so I thought, man, maybe I'm going to do okay here. So comes competition day. I couldn't tell you what happened, but I <clears throat> I did fine in, in uh, the slow fire. But when it came to the... Uh, 
timed fire. This leg just started shaking for some reason. Uh, nervous, who knows yeah. what. You know, I don't know. And, I, you know, I was kind of halfway concentrating on my leg and trying to shoot at the same time, and I just did, probably didn't do as well as I hoped I would. Probably just put too much pressure on yourself. That could be, could be. Mm. So out of, I don't know how many shooters they had there, I can't remember, but I was, I, I placed 18th, but it was still good enough to get a bronze medal, so... I didn't do too bad. I've felt pretty good about that. Yeah. yeah. So looking back, do you feel like, you know, coming up as a country boy and hunting outdoorsmen helped you or do you feel like a lot oh, of I your so. fellow, yeah. you know, troopers I think were... it did because uh, a friend of mine who lives in Wisconsin, Joel Rasmussen, he and I have been friends since ADAC. Um, he, I don't know if he'd even shot a gun until he got in the Navy. Mm. And I've, I've talked him into buying some guns and we'd shoot. And then he, he shot in competition too, but he never really got as far as I did. <clears throat> but he still had fun with it. Yeah. But he was a country boy too, you know. He worked on farms and all that kind of stuff when he was a kid. So mm -hmm. I think, but I don't think he ever went hunting or any of that kind of thing. Yeah. So I'm sure that that had a lot to do with it. I was used to it, you know. And the The thing that I learned was concentration and you know just to pay attention to what you're doing and and learning from what you didn't do right before and, and just picking out little things that just yourself you know a lot of guys when they when you go to well when you go to uh to shoot at a in a competition and you you bring the pistol up and you're you're holding it and then you you need to adjust for a little bit for the target well, don't adjust your arm, adjust your body. So mm -hmm. you don't have that, that pressure of trying to hold your arm back and where you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Squeezing the trigger with the tip of your finger, not back here. Oh, well, the very tip and the yeah. whole let it surprise you, right? It's, it's you know, the tip of your finger moves a lot further than, yeah. the, than your knuckle. And that's, you know, that's something I watch uh, on, a, on a TV show. You know, the guys are, you know, they're squeezing a shot off. Well, they got the finger buried in the... Yeah. Yeah. And so they aren't really shooting. <laughs> in my book. In uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, man. All those pieces to put together, the focus and your breathing and everything, right? Yeah. yeah and I have a to... real slow heart rate, so that helped too. Oh, I okay. Could, I take in about half a breath and hold it, and my heart might beat, you know, just a few times. It's it's pretty slow, but... Uh, when you that, shoot, do you try to hold on the target, or when you know you're going to shoot, are you trying to, like, rise up into it? and pull the trigger as you're meeting where you want to go on that plane? Are you trying to just hold it steady on one? I tried to hold it steady due to the the, the timed and the rapid fire mm. because you didn't have time to try and adjust. You can't, yeah, you can't just mm -hmm. match your breaths yeah. and try to be yeah, – sure, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. And then yeah. obviously you stuck with, you know, hunting and shooting throughout your life. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's been – I've had a lot of fun with it. <clears throat> yeah. I always thought that, boy, it'd be neat to to keep going and go to Camp Perry. And once you, if you won it at the All-Navy match, then you got to go to Camp Perry. And from there, they start picking guys out for the Olympics. Yeah. Did that ever make you think about getting into, like, gunsmithing or anything as a... Uh, I did at one point, but I, I don't know, I've... 
I I didn't take advantage of of uh, uh, the GI Bill that kind of thing. Sure. Because I just didn't know about it. That's that's one thing that that kind of half ticks me off. When I got out, uh, my rate, which was a construction mechanic, there's seven rates in the CBs, and uh, when I got out, they were kicking mechanic uh, all the CBs out. They were kicking them out right and left because Vietnam was over and they just didn't need didn't need everybody anymore. So, uh, I don't know about now, but a lot of times back then, they would have a career counselor guy come and talk to you about staying in or whatever you wanted to do, you know. That never happened to me. I never, I had to, my chief, I had to tell him, hey, chief, uh, I'm due to get out of the Navy here in a couple of months. What do I do? He says, you are? Well, yeah, I, I didn't know. I didn't know what they could do, so... Uh, but yeah, I kind of wish that, that somebody would have talked to me about that, you know, cause I might've stayed in because I was having a good time. I made E5 when I, before I got out, which is pretty tough to do really. And, uh, so I don't know. I, I think I might've stayed in. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious what that process looks like now of, you know, first of all, just the transition from, you know, military service to civilian lifestyle, you know, menti- mentally and, and also the career skills to translate and say, you know, what what have you learned from the military? What are some skills you brought here with you? And, and what's the career and the rest of the life going to look like for you? Not only with, like you said, the GI Bill and the education paid for, but just those life skills to transition. And I mean, unfortunately, when, when I think to the Vietnam era, you're, you're exactly right. I, I mean, it seems like it must've gone fairly well for you to, to transition out, but our veterans had a very difficult time after Vietnam because of, you know, the way they were treated, a lot of the things they had to experience and deal with over there, but just the, the transition from, from, you know, military service and, and all that into trying to find your footing, especially when, you know, maybe you enlisted at 18, 19 years old. You, you don't know much anyway. And then you're God, no. 22, 23 and trying <laughs> yeah. to start like you're 18, 19. But, but for you, how did, how did that work? It sounds like, you know, you may have considered reenlisting. You feel like there's room to, for more help there, but, but what did you end up doing? Well, when I got out, I, uh, <clears throat> I wasn't sure what I was going to do. I just, it's kind of like when I went in, I wasn't sure what I was going to do when I went in. Wasn't sure what I was going to do when I got out. When I went into boot camp, I met a guy who, his name's Lyman Waterman. He uh, he wanted to be a SEAL pretty bad. And so, of course, I told him my brother was a SEAL. And so he, we started hanging around a little bit together. And he said, well, you need to get into it too. And I said, well, I don't know. You know I, I didn't really have the desire that he did. And you gotta, you gotta want to do it. This had to yeah. have been pretty new at the time, right? When did the SEAL teams SEAL. begin? Well, really, uh, the CBs were the first UDT underwater demolition teams back in during World War II. But later on, it didn't wasn't until I think around late fifties, early sixties is when the actual SEAL teams came about. Okay, so I guess it's I it's about 10 years underway and f- somewhat established by the time you're coming through though. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> My brother had been uh I think he was in I'm not sure which SEAL team it was, one maybe, but he was in UDT 11, I know. 
and maybe SEAL Team One. I can't remember, mm. but that you know, I I wanted to be like him, you know, ever since I was a little kid, because I just love those guys so much. But um, when he and of course he didn't tell me everything they did, but he would tell me some of the things they got to do. And he was uh, when uh, Apollo Eleven came down. He could have been out there in the water, but he decided to come home. He said, Rumelard, do you want to go? And No, nah, I want to go home and leave. Okay. So he blew his chance at history, you know, <laughs> with a moonshot. Yeah. God, mm. oh well. Did that eat him up, you think? Pardon me? Did that eat him up in the later years, you think, to look back and miss that? Or Oh, I don't. I doubt it, knowing him. <laughs> Not that big a deal, I guess. Sure. I am a little more... Um, when I... When I do something that I think people ought to know about, I try and promote it a little bit, you know, not a whole lot, but I don't I don't want it to slip by somehow. But anyway, uh <clears throat> anyway, when I got out, I uh uh well, maybe I should tell you this first when I first when I when I got to boot camp and met up with Lyman and he and I started working out together and doing, you know, a million push-ups and running the stairs and just trying to get in the shape as best we could. Well, we were going to go take the test to get into the the uh, into the buds program, and uh, he and me, or he, he and I, and, and uh, one other guy from our boot camp company went to a. a Swimming pool about the same size as the one up here that Pendleton has. Uh-huh. <clears throat> and, uh huh. And I said, okay, we're going to do three things. We're going to swim, and you're going to run a mile or two or whatever it was, and then you're going to do as many push ups as you can. Okay. So he says, okay, get up to the edge of the pool, or strip everything down to nothing, and get in the water. Okay, so we all get in the water. And I, he says, when I say go, I want you to swim down to the end. Come back and then go back down again and don't don't splash. Only thing you have above the water is your head. Okay. He says go and well take off. Well, we get down at the other end. One guy he gets out. He's done. So me and Lyman we turn around coming back, and I'm in front. So we're going along and we get to the other end. Turn around. We start going back and I'm starting to lose a little bit. And and uh, Lyman he's catching up with me and he passes me. And we get to the edge of the pool. Lyman gets out. The guy says, okay, stand over here. He said, and then nine seconds later, I get out, and he says, okay, you're done. But I, but you're done. <laughs> okay. So then Lyman takes off running, ran his mile, and came back, and, and then he's dropped and did as many push-ups as a kid, and that guy was beat, I'll tell you. Yeah, and, can you uh, imagine. <laughs> so they only took him to get into the class. And I, I can't tell you where I heard this, but sometime later I heard that they only take one guy at a time out of a company. So he was the guy. Mm. Yeah. So he never made it clear to you, but he was basically evaluating to choose probably one of the two of you, it sounds like. Yeah. 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 He, and he told me that I could try it again once I got to my regular duty station, but there isn't too many swimming pools at 8X, so I... I liked the CBs, so that was fun. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that was kind of the end of military service for you then, or? Well, for getting into into the SEALs anyway. Yeah. So then I went to ADAC and plowed snow and worked on rigs and fished and hunt and had fun. (laughs) Yeah. Got drunk the first time. (laughs) Lordy. That was a bad one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I had a good time up there. There were some times when uh, I wanted to go somewhere else, but... There was a lot of kids that went up there. The duty was a year long, and a lot of the kids from the big cities or something that weren't used to the isolation, they yeah. had to send them home or somewhere else because they just couldn't take it. I, when you were just saying that, I had just had that thought about this, you know, this is kind of like paradise for you as an outdoorsman, but yeah. these wide open spaces in the wild country and stuff might just be terrifying for somebody that, yeah. that grew up in an urban environment. So Yeah. Yeah. The base that I was on, there was two bases up there, actually three, I guess. But the the main base had about 3,000 people on it, and our base had about 750 or so, and ours was a communication station. They listened to Russia and the Chinese and wherever else, you know, up there. It was quite a deal, but... Sure. And uh, the the buildings right at the base there... There was, you know, a pretty good-sized compound, but they had a, a cement hallway that could go in between each one and didn't have to go outside because it was either snowing, raining, or the wind blowing all the time. <laughs> so uh, if you didn't want to go outside, you didn't have to. And most of those guys were communications techs, uh, electronics techs, or radiomen, or something along that line because it was a communication station. We were just support. The CBs or there's seven rates, like I said before. There's mechanics, uh, equipment operators, steel workers, builders, utilities men, which is a plumber, uh, engineers, aid, and uh, electricians. Mm. So all, all the trades, more or less. Yeah. And uh, so we kept the place running, and then they did their thing. They had a building they called a shotgun, and it was it was where they did all the communication stuff. <clears throat> I I couldn't even I could go into the yard where it was, but I couldn't go past the front door. It was so secret. Mm, just security clearance stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I could go plow them out. But <laughs> yeah. I couldn't go in and mm. have a cup of coffee or nothing. But, <laughs> yeah. Huh. yeah. I think there was a season. Have you seen the show Alone? Yeah. Oh yeah. I think there was. Uh, one of the first few seasons, I think they had it up in that area. I know they've done Vancouver Island at least once or twice, yeah. which is probably not far from where you're describing, right? Uh, let's see. Because Vancouver well, Island's off it, off the coast of Washington. Well, it's Washington State, but yeah, it's like yeah, right it's like there. an island yeah. off the coast, I think, right? Yeah. And it's it was very much ex- like what he was sounds like what you're describing. Yeah, very just constant windy, rain and rain, stuff there, but yeah. gloomy. Yeah, really Adak is uh, twelve hundred miles from Anchorage. Six hundred miles from Russia. I was wondering, yeah, oh, wow. because you, as you get up towards the point there, it's not far from Russia, really. But oh, you yeah. said you're out in the kind of the J piece of it. Yeah, so it sounds like you you have you know good memories and experiences from your from your time of service. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed it. You know, there was times like I say it's that you wish you're somewhere else, but you know, in any job you're going to be that way. So yeah, totally. And um, you know, like you said, maybe. You you weren't asking for this, but you got a chance to see some new country and explore some stuff and yeah. get some experiences outside of Eastern Oregon. 
I, uh, <clears throat> the one thing I regret is not going to another place. Like I could have gone to Iceland or uh, I put in to go down to Antarctica, but for some reason we couldn't go. Me and, me and Joel both put in to go down there. and I forget what the deal was now, but, but they they wouldn't let us go for some reason. Hmm. So we just decided to stay on ADAC, so we both stayed there for three tours, and I I don't regret that a bit. Yeah. yeah. I realized uh, when you said the mileage thing, I, w- I was thinking the opposite. So you were talking, the, it's the Aleutian Islands, right? Right. That it go out towards Russia. Yeah. I was thinking down south, closer to Vancouver, BC, and, and down that oh, way. Oh, southern Alaska? Yeah. Yes. No, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess closer to, like, Juno's down there, right? Is Juno closer down yeah. that way? Yeah. Um, right, yeah. That's the direction I was thinking. That's I, I was all turned <laughs> yeah. around. Yeah, but, yeah um, it's it's uh, on the same time zone as Hawaii. Oh, really? So it's out there quite a ways. It's two hours difference from here. Mm-hmm. There, there was a movie, and I'm pretty sure it was based in ADAC about bird watching. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. Oh, I think huh. it had. I think it had like Owen Wilson and Jack Black in it. Oh, okay. And they're oh, like really? e- extreme bird hunters, and, <laughs> and they and they go to ADAC. Really? Oh, <laughs> yeah. <but> Interesting. <laughs> they just had a a uh, a show on one of the nature type channels about uh, ADAC here just a month or so ago. You can pull it up on a map now to look. Well, I want to see what the name <laughs> it, of that movie something was. Something about uh, it's not birds some, of prey, some, is it? I don't think so. No, this was about some gold that a pirate had had uh, buried out there. Somewhere, oh, interesting. And they actually found some. Oh, they did. Yeah, it was gold coins. Oh, they okay. Put them in cans, and yeah, it was quite a story. Huh? Had I known? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you were right, knocking on the <laughs> yeah. door there. Well, I said, yeah. some of the imaging technologies really kind of lended itself oh, to yeah, finding some sure of that stuff, better. right? In fact, they were finding stuff two feet down and. Can, they can determine whether it's gold or a tin can or something, you know. Yeah. 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 So so you transition out of, what do you got? I found the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's called The Big Year. The Big Year. Okay. Huh. Yes. That sounds, I haven't watched it, but I, I think I remember, I mean, it's probably 10, 15 years old, right? Uh, I think so. It's, yeah. huh. it's a 2011. So okay. not, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so you, you go into diesel mechanic in when you're done with the service or? Well, I, when I got out, I wanted to move over to Walla Walla to be near Mike and Pete and Pat, because I always loved going over there and visiting those guys when I was a kid. And it was a lot better than what I thought was around here. When I, once I got away from Pendleton, I realized how, uh, unorganized I was, you know, I, I was glad to be away from the things that weren't good here. So when I got out, and and everything in my mind was good in Walla Walla because that's where Pete and Pat and Mike lived, and they were wonderful to be around. And you know, big brother and sister. You know, it's just that they treated me great, and and their kids, Pat's daughters, uh, her oldest daughter was five months older than me, so I was a great uncle before I was born. But uh, so I just I just wanted to go over there and live. Well, uh, when I got, first got out, I came home and Mom says, "Oh, I've got this great little girl you need to meet." Hmm. Oh, I don't know, Mom. You know, <laughs> Mom this, this was the first of December when I came home, and then uh, so she set us up on a blind date, and. Uh, 
we went up to her house. And she was a telephone operator, too, and she'd been doing that since she got out of high school. So she'd been doing that for about three years or so, three or four years. That's why your mom liked her. She was a telephone operator. Yeah. <laughs> they must have been, they were coworkers then, right? Is that the deal? Right. Okay. Yeah. So they'd, they'd sit next to each other, and mom would tell her how wonderful I was and all that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so Setting the stage for She was you. really working her, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so we go on this blind date, and she opens up the door, and I thought, my God, she's the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. Long blonde hair and, and just nice gal. So, so we went on a date and uh, and that was on Friday the thirteenth oh, of February seventy six. Uh. And I, you know, I wasn't superstitious by any means, but so so of course the next day is is uh, uh, Valentine's Day. Well, shit, I didn't have any money really to speak of, but I thought, uh, well, I ought to get her something. So anyway, the, the the night that we went on the date, we went bowling and just fiddled around, and you know, and so we we uh, get back to her house, and and I'm thinking to myself, well, do I do I kiss her or what? <laughs> so and I hadn't seen a girl really in you know four years. <laughs> so, you better kiss her. <laughs> yeah, so so I said, well. Maybe I better not. So anyway, we we said goodbye. So I said, well, uh, maybe I'll stop by tomorrow. Okay. So so the next day I come by and I but I'm thinking, God, it's it's Valentine's Day. I'm out to get her something. So I go to the store, and here they get these big boxes of chocolates, you know. And then mm-hmm. they got the little boxes. And I thought, well, let's see here. How much am I <laughs> don't have quite a lot of money? So I thought, well, if I get a big one and she doesn't like me, I've blown. But if I get this little one for two ninety five, it'll be a lot better. So that's what I did. So I took it to her. Of course, she was happy. And and uh, short story or long story short, six months later, we we got married. We've been married for forty five, forty six years now. Yeah. Congrats. So it worked out well for me. Yeah. I don't know about her, but I'm happy. (laughs) Well, I love. You know, it just seems like. Why is it that you know all the all the relationships and the love stories from, from the, our, our previous generations, it just seems so much simpler. Does that, do you agree? Oh yeah, I think so. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, if a woman wasn't married by the time she was 21, she was considered an old maid. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's, I guess the, yeah. the bum side of it is probably the sense of urgency. I guess you, you'd hope that people weren't rushing because they were on a tight timeline, but it just seems like what was the deal? Was communicating a lot more clear or was it just just no games or what do you think? I, be honest with you, I don't know. I, when I was in high school, I had a couple of girlfriends, <laughs> but, you know, nothing really ever real serious. But uh, there was a lot of guys that were serious, you know. I mean, shoot, they met in high school and got married when they got out of high school. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them been together for a long time. Now, some a lot of times they don't work out because they're just not mature enough. Right to to make it work out, you know. So, I I was, uh, you know, when I was up there at ADAC, when I first got there on on our base anyway, there weren't any women at all. It was all guys, seven hundred and fifty of us, you know. So, I'd been there. I don't think it was quite a year, and they decided to bring some waves up, a hundred of them, or right in there somewhere. And they called it Operation Man Help. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. my goodness. <laughs> yeah. So, 
So, and most of those, if not all of them, were uh, communications techs or radio men or something like that, you know, something to do with all the communications up there. They had women CBs then, but very, very few. The first one that became a CB was in 72, and she just recently died here a couple months ago. Mm. Anyway, uh, so, and you know, I figured, well, I'm not going to get involved in this because I'm not that great of a looking guy and I'm shy and all of that, you know, so I'm not even going to try. Well, of course, it didn't take long and they all had boyfriends and, you know, it was, there was a lot of them ended up pregnant and, and a lot of them got married, a lot of them got divorced and, you know, a lot of that stuff went on. Mm-hmm. So, but I told myself, I just, I just don't want to get involved with somebody because I'm such a softy that <clears throat> I figured if, if I got involved with somebody and I had to leave or she had to leave, then what do I do? You know, I, I don't know that I could have took that. Yeah. So I just said, nope, I'm not going to do it. So I didn't. And, uh, but everybody else around me was, was doing it. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, but I just, just couldn't make myself get involved with anybody. I'd go down to the bar with the guys once in a while and, you know, visit with everybody. And I, they were, I mean, I had friends that were the waves, you know, but I just, none of them really came after me and I didn't really go after any of them. I mean, we sure. were just friends, so. Mm-hmm. Yep, you were waiting to settle in back home. Yeah, Do I you... just <clears throat> wanted to wait for the right one, I guess. Yeah, I you said it was Operation Man Save, was that right? Man help. Man help. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That might be the best operation name I've ever heard. Do yeah. you think, yeah. was your perspective, do you think, if you can remember, you know, growing up, did you feel like you always did want to get married when you grew up? Or do you think, I mean, because you grew up with kind of a single mom in a, in a you know, a situation where your parents weren't together right in front of you through childhood, was that still kind of always in the cards for you, you knew? or Well, <clears throat> I uh, I don't know that. I don't know that I had really thought about whether I wanted to get married or not, but I'd thought about having kids and that kind of thing. But I'd seen so much, and maybe it was just the lifestyle back then, you know. I just didn't want to, the smoking and the drinking and the cussing and the carousing and hollering and all that stuff, I just didn't never did like any of that. I hated to go to the bar up there at Dadak because it was full of smoke. You know, that's mm-hmm. what I didn't like about it. I'd take a drink or, you know, go in and sit down and have a drink with the guys. But I just, I didn't like to go in there because of the smoke. Mm. And I never did smoke when I was a kid. Uh, my mom smoked for, when we came to Pendleton, she smoked up until early 60s. And then she realized that... Uh, Smoking causes cancer and all of that. And I remember she she had a uh, one of the big packs of cigarettes in the drawer, and she took it out. And she said, "Well, I'm not going to smoke anymore," and threw them away. And that was it. Mm. No, I mean, it was, I was Good now you know I see how addictive they are. I don't know how the hell she did it, but she did it. Yeah, no kidding. And especially you know thirty years ahead of her time, it sounds like because yeah. Yeah, I mean, and every, and she'd always go out to the bar with the gals and had a good time, you know. So she was always around it. Yeah, but just decided it wasn't for her, huh? Right. Well, I think that's the that's the biggest thing is making that that 
decision just mentally like just, I, yeah this, deciding in your mind for sure anymore yeah <laughs> yeah but yeah, I can't even imagine through the through the sixties and seventies to Well yeah, everybody's Oh yeah. That yeah, was the cool Shoot. thing to do. Well the yeah, in this what is it in World War Two though your your rations for right, yeah. your provisions included lucky strikes and, Exactly. Oh yeah. 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 But you didn't um, have a pack of luckies rolled up in your slurch sleeve. Yeah, you, you were some cool. kind of joker. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so it sounds like was was the the lady what kind of brought you to Pendleton then? Because you said you you know you kind of wanted to settle down in, in Walla Walla with your siblings, and then you you got to go on <laughs> yeah. this date. Things moved along so, nicely uh, there. So Sherry and I, when we got married, I I bought a little house over there. I just I was staying with my sister Pat. They lived out north of town, and I was coming into work one morning. I was working for the Rogers Walla Walla Pig Cannery. I was a mechanic for them. So I'm coming into work one morning, and they have one of those radio shows where you can call in, you advertise whatever you got for sale, you know. Well, this guy calls in. He says, I got this little house down on Chase Street, and I want 14000 for it. It's uh <laughs> Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, Shannon's uh, in real I, estate. I, I hope hearing... you uh, kept it until 2021. Yeah. <laughs> so $14,000. Probably yeah. you could have sold it for four hundred. Oh, yeah. <laughs> $400,000. So, so anyway, he advertises a two-bedroom house and it's on a little lot, you know. Okay. So I get to work, and lunchtime I called him up. He said, yeah, nobody's called yet. He said, uh well, could I got to go look at it? Oh, yeah, let's go. So we went down there after work, and it's got a nice little fenced backyard and a little carport and uh, two bedrooms, kitchen, uh, living room, bathroom, and a little utility room, and that was about it. So I said, well, uh, I guess I'll take it. And I was... I was oh, I couldn't tell you what I was making a month then. Probably wasn't much more than $500. And uh, so I says, what do I do now? And he says, I don't know. Go to the bank, I guess, and go to the courthouse and, you know, figure it out. Uh, okay. <laughs> so I went down to the courthouse, and they told me how to go through the steps, you know, of buying a house. And and uh, went to the bank and got a loan. And don't ask me how I did it because I didn't have any money. <laughs> <clears throat> so, so I... Uh, Got a loan for it, and uh, my payments was one hundred eighteen dollars a month. Oh man! And was that was that tough to to make happen at the time, or you know, I don't know for sure, but uh, yeah, yeah. But you made it happen. Yeah, I, but yeah. you made it happen. Oh yeah, I I I uh, I I'm not sure, but I think they like the bank likes to keep it around twenty percent of your income yeah your bank your your payment you know mm -hmm. so that was about right you know and uh so it worked out good so i i bought the house and and sherry and i was going together then and and she came over and every once in a while and we'd you know figure out what we wanted to do with the house and all of that and so after we got married <clears throat> then she was over there permanent with me, of course. And let's see, we stayed there about maybe a month and we decided to move back to Pendleton. Oh, wow. So, because she was born and raised here and her family was here, of course. And uh, for some reason, it just didn't feel like home to me. 
In Walla Walla. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love those guys, but I kind of wanted to go back home. So we decided to go back home. So I, I tried in every way as I could to hang on to that house, but I just couldn't do it because I couldn't make, you know, that payment plus paying rent. The place that we moved here in town, after we moved back, we were paying 165 a month for it in rent. Mm. Oh, wow. So, you know, that's more than what I was paying for that. Now, if I'd have had the brains I have now about that kind of thing, I'd have, I'd have made it work somehow. Yeah. yeah. Situational. It yeah. It's, it's hard shoot. to. Yeah. That place sold, <clears throat> I know. Oh, God. It's been a long time ago. Probably 30 years ago, I saw it for sale. And I just happened to look at the price, and they wanted 97 for it then. <laughs> yeah. So I could have made a lot of money on that deal. Mm hmm. It's probably easy worth a hundred and a half now, if not more. Yeah, I, in Even Walla a little Walla, two-bedroom house it, like that. If it's in good shape in Walla Walla, you said two-bedroom, one bath. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in twenty twenty-one, you probably could have got somewhere between two fifty to three fifty. Really? Yeah. Wow. yeah. <laughs> probably closer to three. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was a crazy market, and it was uh, <laughs> oh about three blocks from the school, and just. A, Maybe six or eight blocks from the fairgrounds. It was a good spot, but mm-hmm. anyway. So so what do you think changed your mind? Because you said, you know, you felt like Walla Walla was just, or excuse me, Pendleton was a place of bad influences. You just weren't really comfortable being in the area. And then, you know, you, you start going steady with your lady here and you guys feel like this is, this is where you're going to sow your roots. So what do you think changed your mind? Well, uh... Still haven't changed his I, mind. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, it just didn't feel like home. You know, I, yeah. I grew up doing things the way that I did them, and Mike and Pete and Pat grew up doing things the way that they did. And, of course, they were different because we were <clears> so <throat> far apart from each other. And I and I didn't really feel like part of the family over there, even mm. though I was. I just didn't really, because I was so much younger than they were, I think, yeah. was a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't feel... Right there. So I came back home. I had my friends from, you know, from when I was in school and all of that. So I knew a lot of people. Over there, I didn't really know anybody. And Sherry, Sherry felt pretty uncomfortable, I think, over there too because she didn't know anybody at all. And uh, she's, I don't want to say shy, but she's pretty quiet and conservative and easy to get along with. So, you know, she's not the one that uh, go out and introduce herself to somebody. You know, she's just... Yeah. Not that way. Mm-hmm. So when we moved back, we, uh, like I said, we rented that house. And, of course, I had to quit what I was doing, and, and she just transferred back to the phone company over here and went right back to work. So between, um, well, I, I, I went to work for a, a guy that I worked for when I was in high school, mechanican, and... It was okay, you know, but it wasn't quite what I wanted to do, I didn't think. Mechanicing is, I, I, I liked working, being a mechanic at ADAC because I knew all of the rigs, and if something broke down, I knew how to fix it. But when you work for a mechanic's shop, 
you get all kinds of different things coming in, and I had it. You just got to figure out what rolls in yeah, the shop, huh? It, I, I don't know. It just, just wasn't as interesting as it was before. And you didn't have YouTube just to look up any video to <laughs> see how to, That's what a lot of mechanics do now these days. Oh, they, yeah. They don't know how to work on a part. They just YouTube. Yeah. Usually you can find the car you're looking for and yeah. how to change out the part or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I... Uh, so anyway, I I was working for this guy, and I worked for him for a couple of months, and I saw an opening at the post office for a delivery guy. So I thought, well, that's a pretty good job, probably. It pays $5 and some change an hour. That ain't bad. Okay, so I go down and applied for it, and I said, well, no, it's just temporary, but, uh, you know, if you do good, we'll keep you on, maybe. Okay. So I started around the... The first of November or so, somewhere in there, and I was replacing a guy who was getting his knees worked on. So okay, so I'm learning how to do all that and had the route up on the North Hill and I'm going around doing the thing and and it just wasn't clicking with me. I don't know. Uh, it was okay, you know, but I thought I mean it's the same thing every day, mm-hmm. and I wasn't into the same thing every day kind of thing. So. Uh, about two weeks into December, the boss says, hey, uh, the guy's coming back and we don't really need you anymore, so thanks for playing. <laughs> Shoot. Okay, so that was that. So I thought, well, damn, now what do I do? And that, So I looked around for a job and tried to find something. And uh, I remember just flipping through the phone book, trying to look at seeing something that interested me. Had no thought about going up to the college and having them maybe get me in a class and work so I could actually learn something and make a career out of something. So I uh, went down to the state highway office, walked in there, and I asked them if they had any job openings. And, well, not right now, but uh, if we do, we can maybe get a hold of you. Okay. So it, that interested me pretty good. So I went down there about once a week. I'd stop in there. And... <clears throat> About uh, about the middle of February uh, of 77, they said, well, we got an opening up at Meacham, a temporary where you go up and plow snow, and, and they knew that I'd plowed snow on ADAC for three years, so I knew what I was doing. And uh, uh, But at the end of the season, you know, that'll be it unless something else comes up. Mm-hmm. And they said, there's a fair chance that could happen. Okay. So I went to work, and shit, I was making about eight and a half a month. Pretty good money. So I went up there and and plowed snow and worked until, oh, I think about the 1st of June. Because I remember the, on the 14th or Seemed like it was around the 14th of May. We got 14 inches of really hit, wevy, wet, heavy snow, and that was the last snow we got for the for the year. Right up on cabbage. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it was a lot of fun. I loved blowing that snow up there. It was fun. Mm-hmm. So I'm keep asking them if if you got anything else coming up that I could get into. Well. They uh, had the uh, the oiling crew, and they're the guys that go out and spread the oil down and the chips on top of it. And they traveled all around 
Eastern Oregon doing that. And they said, by golly, we do. Uh, the oil and crews got a position open. I said, okay, I'll take it. Because, you know, I needed a job and I didn't care where it was at. Okay, well, the first job's in in uh, Jordan Valley. Mm. Where's Jordan Valley? It's way down there. Okay. So I said, well, what do you, what do you do? Okay, well, you get your, get your uh, camp trailer and you take it down there and you set it up in the yard down there and and uh, we pay you fifteen dollars a day per diem, which just gives you food for three days and you know lodging or whatever. And I'm thinking, I don't have a travel trailer. We had a we had an old, it was about a seventy five or so uh, Oldsmobile station wagon, big old boat thing. <laughs> and uh, I said, well. Either that or a tent or something. I said, "Well, what the heck? I'll just stay in the in the car." So that's what I did. I went down there and we we worked down at Jordan Valley for about a month, and we'd work four tens. So you come home on Thursday night and go back Sunday, and uh, did that for about a month. And when you're a newly married guy, that's damn tough. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, it worked out, and uh, so. During that summer, uh, all the summer that I'm doing this, and we went from Jordan Valley to Hepner, and I forget where all we went, but all around eastern Oregon here. And uh, I want to say that this is the second time Jordan Valley's gotten brought up. Um, well, I actually messed it up on our on our last podcast. I said Junction City when I went when I went to that um, uh, uh, high school graduation when that. Oh, your that cop crazy the, the crazy yeah. cop incident mm-hmm. that was in uh, Jordan Valley. Not oh, okay. I said Junction City. I realized, gotcha. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Jordan Valley's been brought up in the last two. <laughs> yeah, it's a long way down there. Yeah, uh, it's we, a tiny uh, little area was, too. I forget whatever, whether it was. Well, it was the first. It, so it was June, so it was warm, but not really hot like it can be. But it was it was pretty warm down there. I remember that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, anyway, uh, um, Sherry's. Grandparents, uh, they bought 160 acres out on Tutaloa back in the late 30s. And uh, Sherry's mother and Sherry's brother owned it together, that 160. Well, they'd sold some of it off. You know where Butch lives out out there? Mm-hmm. I do, yeah. yeah. Just All, not, not too far past the middle school. Yeah, our place is just on the other side of the road from there. But oh, okay. there's... Uh, Oh, I don't know, six or eight houses on on the east side of the road, and they owned that back up to that fence line up there. Okay, that was part of the 160. So they'd sold some of that off, and they gave uh, Cherry's sister four acres, and so they decided they'd give us four acres. So we got four acres, and we were going to put a house up on it. Well, I'm working, making pretty decent money, and Sherry's making better money than I am. So we were doing quite well. So we met with uh, Gail Marshall here in town, and he put up uh, modular homes in. And we decided to get one and put it up out there. So since I was a vet, I got a vet loan, and we borrowed uh, $35,000 to put the house up, Drill the well and build the bridge. Wow! Mm-hmm. Yeah, thirty-five thousand. 
And you, you guys are do, still there, you, you said. You couldn't build the bridge now for that, probably. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And you guys are still there. Yeah. Nice. Been there since 77. Mm. Yeah. So uh, uh, <clears throat> So we moved in there in, in, uh, on August 19th, if I remember right, that summer. And God, it was like we moved into a castle. It yeah. Was so <laughs> nice to have our own place and, you know. Yeah, it was neat. And four acres. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then later on, a few years later, we bought three more acres from her mom. So I grew hay on that, and uh, we had some cows and horses and chickens and all that kind of stuff. And we just started having our own place. You know, it was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were the cows just for your own meat or... Well, I, at, at one time I had nine head, so we'd sell them, and, and that's when uh, Hill Meat would still take live animals. Mm. But they don't anymore, of course, but uh, so we'd take them up there, and we'd always tell the kids that we were taking them to market, you know, not that we were going to go up there and kill them and chop them up and eat them. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, yeah, it, the kids loved it out there. I, mean, I, I was so happy that they were out of town, didn't have to put up with the in-town stuff, and they could go down to Crick and play, and they just had a ball out there. Mm-hmm. So you got to have that property where the kids just got to kind of run and roam. That's good. Yeah. Nice. Um, so so where does the where does the old iron show play into your story here? Well, several years later, but uh, <clears throat> uh, the old iron show, I bought a Model A in... Uh, 85, I think it was. Didn't know very little about them. And I got used to working on it and, and doing all that kind of thing. And so um, in, must have been around 88 or so, my brother was working on a little single-cylinder engine for a guy over in Walla Walla, Mike, my brother Mike, and he wanted me to come over and he had it on display at the the fair over there. So he wanted me to come over there and sit around with him and watch this thing run. So, okay, so I go over there and I'm watching this thing run. I thought, that thing's pretty cool. I need to get one of those. The Model <laughs> A, this is the old Ford, like, right? Or is it? Yeah. What's the year? 1930-something probably. Mine was a 28. 28, okay. Yeah. The Model S were made from 28 to 31. Oh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, this old uh, one-longer, we'll call it, just a single-cylinder engine and two big flywheels on it, and they used them for doing everything on the farm. Mm. Anything you can hook a belt to, uh, that's what they did with it. So I'm watching this thing run, and, and I knew a guy that had one. I saw it sitting on a stump out of his place, and it was Randy Severe. So... I went out to see Randy one day, and I said, Randy, what are you going to do with that old thing? He says, oh, my wife puts flowers in it and makes, you know, <laughs> grows stuff. And he says, why, you want it? And he said, well, I was kind of looking for something. He says, well, she's not looking. Let's take it. <laughs> okay. So we throw it in the back pickup and brought it home. <clears throat> and it sat for a while. A while. It, was, it, had, it had laid in a, in a crick on its side for who knows how long. 
And of course, it was the mag side down, which has all the gears and stuff on it to make everything work. Mm. So they were all pretty rusty. So because I'd bought the Model A back in 85, uh, I took the engine to a guy named uh, Alan Sherman. And Alan has a place in uh, Ridgefield, just north of Vancouver. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and he was going to rebuild my engine for me. So when I took that engine up there to him, I discovered that Alan has got millions, and I mean millions of dollars worth of this, this kind of stuff, these little engines and big engines and steam tractors and just all kinds of stuff. And I just saw that stuff was just fell in love with it. So I thought, well, uh, so my son, Tanner, he was, uh, let's see, he'd have been about, Oh, seven or eight then, I think. Somewhere in there. We, uh, I went through cancer about that time too, but that's another story. Oh, wow. Well. Uh, we, uh, so me and Tanner and my brother Mike took an engine up to Allen. They had a show at Allen's place every, every summer. So we took an engine up there and we're in awe at all of this stuff running. A, a full, uh, uh, a, a steam engine that was, I think, 300 horse. Flywheels were about 20 foot wide. Oh, wow. Yeah. And just uh, just amazing stuff. It's, and, that, and that was an nth of what he had. It's just amazing, that stuff. Old tractors and just, uh, you walk into a shop and there's, Hundreds of shells with hundreds of things on every shelf. And, <laughs> it's like oh, his own, yeah. his own personal museum. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And Alan was a wonderful guy. So anyway, Alan rebuilt my engine for me. And we're, when we're at the show, I'm, and I see he had a Model A pickup there that they were running around doing things with it, you know, for the show. And I'm looking at Tanner and I'm thinking, we have got to do something like this at home sometime. I'd love to be able to do this at home. So I I bought an engine from uh, a guy here in town that was all apart. And he didn't know how to put it get back together or didn't want to or something. So he sold it to me. So I brought it home, and I knew nothing about putting them together. So I just, you know, if you have, have any kind of a mechanical mind, they're so simple that you can figure it out. So I started putting pieces back on. If they didn't fit here, well, it fit over here and lined up the timing marks and just thought, well, it's either going to work or it isn't. <laughs> and I tried to get Tanner interested in coming out and watching. And so he'd come out once in a while and get bored and go do something else, you know. Mm -hmm. So finally I got it to where I rolled her over a couple of times, bug all that fired up and started running. And next thing I know, here comes Tanner peeking around the corner. And he's seeing this thing bouncing around on the floor, sitting there running. And he thought that was pretty cool. So then I knew we got to do, got to do something. So that was early 90s, probably. So I was busy with work at the fire department and, and you know, trying to work on the car and just living life and, all those things that go along with that. But then when I retired, 
just just before I retired, I was asked if I wanted to uh, be a board member on the Historical Society. So I thought, shoot, yeah, sounds interesting to me. So so I uh, jumped on that, and because of that, I got to know some of the guys down there, like Matt Wood. You probably know Matt, I suppose. He's another historical guy you need to do this for if you okay. haven't. And uh, so I uh, uh, was talking to Matt one day, and I think he was on the board then. Yeah, pretty sure he was, along with me. And I said, we need to to get us an old iron show going. I was trying to figure out a name for it. I was thinking bone, the bone yard, you know, or something like that. I don't know. So we <laughs> came up with the old iron show. So the first year, which was 04, I believe. I can't remember. Um, we had it there at the at the museum. And we fenced off the parking lot, brought in a few tractors and some of our cars and a couple of these engines. And one of the engines had sat in my Uncle Dean Forth's driveway for a long time, and it came from the original place up on uh, Seven Mile. So that engine had been in the family since day one. Mm-hmm. And it's it has – this model of engine – uh, was built from 1910 to 1915, but the tag had been torn off of it. So we just you can you can buy replacement tags. So we bought one and we just put a serial number on it that put it in 1913. Somewhere in the sequence that it would yeah, have been. We or put it in 1913 just because. Yeah. So <clears throat> so anyway, we had that engine there in my car and John Olson's couple of his tractors and a few other things and and uh we charged i think uh 350 to to come in and see everything and with that you got a ice cream cone or some damn thing i don't know (laughs) buy a hamburger or whatever yeah so in that first year we made about 250 bucks that we donated to the museum so that was cool so the next year it it wasn't it was kind of tough, you know, getting all that that uh, machinery down there just for one day. So we thought, well, let's let's do it two days, and let's see if we can do it in Roy Rayleigh Park. So we made arrangements for that, and I I got to thinking, you know, we if we're gonna invite other people to come to this thing, and they've all have machines that they've put thousands of dollars into, why charge them to show it off? Mm-hmm. So we're not going to do that. And then I said, we're not going to charge the public either. We're just let them come and go. If they want to give us a few bucks, great. If they don't, that's fine. Mm. We're going to make money off of sponsors. Yeah. So that's what we did. So that second year, uh, RDO, which is before it was Pioneer, Pioneer Implement, mm. and they they helped us out quite a bit. So they were a great sponsor. John Olson worked there then, and so that helped a lot. But uh, And then we got others throughout the years, Les Schwab and quite a few others, and they've given us quite a bit of money. And then individuals have signed up too. So we started actually getting some money into the pot. And 
I could Carrie could tell you better than I can, but I know that we've given thirty five hundred a year at least to the museum for mm-hmm. for several years now. It's, so it's we've done pretty good. Definitely. So yeah, now now we're at this point in time, and the Iron Show is still two days right at Roy Rayleigh. Is it still a two, it's a three-day event now. Yeah. So so just, I guess, to describe the old Iron Show as it stands today, it's a three-day, um, basically, you know, walk-through historical museum in Roy Rayleigh Park that consists of stuff like you said, the Model A, the old, you know, cars and trucks. There's also some steam-operated machinery and equipment and a variety of other. Go ahead and just kind of describe what you'd find there if you went today. Well, <clears throat> Not today, but next year. <laughs> when, when we first... Well, uh, went down to the park. Uh, we advertised pretty heavy to try and get people to show up, and we did did pretty good. We got we got quite a few people to bring old tractors, and and uh, I said the older the better, and the more unique the better. Mm-hmm. My brother Mike had worked on a a uh, engine that belonged to a guy named Ted Small over in. Uh, Walla Walla, he lived, he had all of his stuff out at Tushi, I believe it was, or Loudon, one of the two. And uh, he uh, he had a, a uh, single cylinder engine that was built in, I believe, 1897. No kidding. Yeah. Whoa. Very, very neat rig. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was a five horse. I can't remember. It was a, a, a Golden Gate was a brand of it, and it was a five horse. My son Tanner could tell you for sure, but um, and Mike had this guy had had this engine for God, I don't know how many years, thirty years or more, and I never got it to run. And my brother Mike is so mechanical that he said, "Well, let me try." So he brought it to his shop. He he worked for uh, Two Mac Machinery over there, the John Deere dealer, and he sold all the lawn tractors and the small compact tractors mm-hmm. and that's that kind of thing and worked on them. So he had this shop to work in, so he brought that engine over there and he fiddled with it for, uh, I can't remember how long, and he got the thing to fire and got it to run. And he said it was just cooler than hell. He says, I picked up the phone, I dialed Ted's number, and I said, hey, Ted, listen. And he held the phone to the engine and next thing you know, he's looking through the door, and here's Ted. You know, he came that quick. He got there just as quick as he could. But yeah, it's a great story. But uh, so anyway, uh, Mike brought that engine over, and it, it was one of those things that it's a rare piece of history. That engine sold here. Mm, I forget. It's been five, six years ago for two hundred fifty thousand bucks. Wow. Yeah. Oh. Very wow. unique piece. Yeah. You know. Just purchased by an individual. A collector of some kind. Yeah. It'd have yeah. to be, yeah. Some guy that had a lot more money than me. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> yeah. probably a lot of those collectors out there that just have a bunch of money to yeah. buy stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the old the old steam tractors, even the ones that aren't that that big were selling for a hundred grand. It's, wow. it's amazing. Yeah. So uh so stuff like that we, yeah. we wanted to see there. And we got quite a few guys showing up with, with good stuff. And then uh, 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 shoot, Bowman, Anthony Bowman, 
he brought hell of his military weapons down one time. I was going to say, I know I've seen that at least a couple times. The He's got the even the little van, right, and the awning with all the, yeah. the guns and, am, you yeah. know, the mortar the shells ha- the and bazookas and, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. The, the medic kits and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I also noticed, what's the deal with the... Um, because the Pendleton Air Museum has way more stuff than what you see in their small little museum yeah. downtown. And they now have that half track that's sitting in the parking lot. That's Anthony's. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's the, if you're driving downtown and you see this, um, it's called a half track because I think it's got the, you know, the two tires up front and then right. the the treads on the back. And it's like a, a man transportation yeah. vehicle from probably the second world war. Correct. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, oh, also you, you mentioned John Olson a couple times. So I, I have to give a shout out to my my uncle by marriage, Kelly Olson, his boy. Oh, Olson's yeah. Auto Parts downtown. Yeah. Um, but anyway, and then you know, a big piece we're talking about here is a lot of this is also fundraising support for the the Heritage Station Museum, right? right. Which yeah. you know, folks in the area should know. But this is the the train station museum, the schoolhouse that is you know downtown, right off of Main Street, basically yeah. on the on the South Hill side of Main Street. Yeah. Um, so what's, what's your role? Are you still involved with the heritage station as a board member or? No, I've, I've been off the board. Well, I was on the board for six years and I think I started in 03 or yeah, must've been before that. Mm. So it's been a while, but. Was there term limits or you just didn't have the six time? Six years, to... I think is, well, I think each term is three and you can do it twice. Gotcha. And then, but you can come back later and do it because a lot of the guys have. Sure. Yeah. I'm surprised she hasn't been after me, but uh, anyway, uh, I probably should do that again. But anyway. Um, Once she hear, yeah. hears this, she's going to come and knock him. And we're talking about <laughs> Carrie Brooks, by the way, yeah, <laughs> the executive director for the Heritage Station Museum. Hi, yeah, Carrie. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I got interested in that kind of thing. When I worked for the highway department, after I got on permanent, I uh, – I I finally got on permanent with the Pendleton crew and stayed with them for a year or two and then I got on with the bridge crew because the bridge crew traveled and they got per diem and so you could make a little money on per diem. So I wanted to do that. <clears throat> and it was much for, more fun than doing the maintenance type of stuff that the regular crew did. Just new construction, is that what the bridge crew is? New yeah, bridges or? Built, repaired the old wooden bridges. We had, mm. God, I don't know, 500 of them back then. And now I think there's only one left, and they may have done away with it by now. But we did a lot of lot of heavy work, a lot of buildings we'd work on and poured a lot of cement and just did that kind of thing. And it, it helped me learn how to be a, a somewhat of a carpenter too. So mm-hmm. I always enjoyed that. It was it was it was uh pretty Decent physical work, so it kept you in shape. You know, it wasn't a lean on the shovel type of job that the rest of the guys did, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, I enjoyed that. Sure. Well, you got anything for him? Questions, Shannon? I just, I guess, just uh, what are the things you love most about? We we ask a lot of our guests just things they love most about the Pendleton area, Eastern Oregon area. Um, you've talked about hunting, um, but are there other things that that you really appreciate about this area? Well, that's a lot of it, of course, but just being able to, I love living out where we live. We're mm-hmm. a mile from Grecian Heights, 
So, you know, if we need to go into town for a milkshake, we can do that pretty easy. But yet I can step out the back door and take a piss if I want to. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. So, uh, and the, the having the having the, the kids be able to to grow up in a place like that, I would have died to have been in that position <laughs> when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think we're yeah. hoping for something like that for our kids too. I'd love that. Yeah. That kind of thing and just how everybody is, you know, uh, when I got into the fire service after I, I left the, the highway in, in 85 and joined the fire department in December of 85, and I just I just loved it. I, I became a volunteer in 81 and then got hired in 85. And uh, to me, there's nothing better than helping out your fellow citizen, you know. And I don't know that, I mean, it's, it's kind of the, uh, I don't know what you call it, but it's, it's, uh, one of those things that I just felt good about doing it. You know, I just thought it was, again, the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I was, I, I, sure, it was cool to be on the truck and you're putting your gear on, you know, going down the street and you go, hey, everybody's watching me. Well, you know, that goes away in about two months. <laughs> you, you forget about all that crap. You just want to be ready when you get there. So uh, that kind of thing is just, I just enjoyed that so much <clears throat> to to dive into a burning building, dragging a hose with you and a couple other guys. Nothing better. I mean, it was just so exciting to be able to do that, go in there and make a difference, come back out. And, you know, most of the time you get them out. Now, Main Street, we had a little trouble there, but, you know, mm. yeah. Definitely an adrenaline rush. <laughs> yeah, oh, God. Yeah, to say the least. You did, know, you, I, did you mention if you had grandkids? Pardon me? Did you mention if you have grandkids? No, dang it. One one of the things I wanted to ask you is um, thinking back to when you grew up in the area and then and then the time of your kids growing up and then just kids now growing up at the area. Like what are what are some of the differences you've seen um, just throughout time in this area of, Hmm. you know, kids growing up in this area? Well, you know, when I when I when I got out of high school, uh, take math, for instance. This is another good story about Project Urgent, but you know we can <laughs> do that another day if we're running out of time. But uh, I I never learned algebra because when I was in the eighth grade, I was in a program called Project Urgent, and it was a, a thing where it was kids that were they had the ability but not the uh, uh, the drive to to do what mm. you're supposed to do in school mm-hmm. or something along that line. Sure. Anyway, so they had to, I don't forget it, there was a hundred of us or so in that class. <clears throat> and they, uh, you could do anything you wanted to do all day long as long as you was being productive and learning something. You know, it didn't matter. You could be playing pool, read a book. During school? Down in the, say again? This was at school? Right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Sounds go like down. My, uh, sounds like my kind of school. Yeah, <laughs> you could go down and in the in the basement was where the shop was, you could, and that's where I spent most of my time just yeah. mm-hmm. building things or mm-hmm. you know cutting wood and doing that kind of stuff. But uh, they had English classes or a math class if you wanted to take it. Well, what kid at that age is going to do that? You know, they just they just don't. Yeah. Otherwise, you'd be back in the other school, right? The regular school. So. So in ninth grade, about the 
almost at the end of the school year, I don't know, something clicked with the teachers, and I thought, shit, these kids don't know algebra at all. We need to get them up to speed. So they said, okay, all the ninth graders go to this class. you got to learn algebra. So we go in there, and uh, they're trying to cram a year's worth of algebra down our necks in, in uh, two months. <laughs> well, we were used to not going to class if you didn't have to, if you didn't want to. You just didn't go, so it didn't take long. Most of those kids started filtering out. I tried to hang on, but it was way beyond me. So just never did learn it. Finally, they said, well, hell with it. Nobody's going to learn it. They'll just have to figure it out when they get to high school. <laughs> so we get to high school, and I go into the the, the uh, algebra class, and, okay, open up your books when we're going to do this and this. And, you know, I had no clue, along with most of the other kids that was in the same thing I was doing. Mm -hmm. So they made a special class. I don't know if they made it just for us or what, but they had a special class where we got the, the math credit, but you learned how to balance a checkbook and stuff like that, which has really made more sense to me anyway now that I look back on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question about that, um, I, we had no calculators, nothing like that when I was in high school. So I, the first calculator I got, I was I was up at ADAC. My mom sent me a little calculator that would it would add, subtract, supply, and multiply. And I thought, geez, my, my life is saved. This, you know? <laughs> this is cool. So uh, so then when I when I got out and had Jenny, she was the first we had, and she went to school and. She came home one day and she says, Dad, I need to get this calculator. And I'm thinking, no, you need to use your noggin and learn that stuff. <laughs> but soon figured out that, no, she needs a calculator. Mm -hmm. So, of course, we got them on. And then from then on, it was, you know, you learn the calculator way of doing things. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They, like, they, I even, I mean, I even remember in elementary school, yeah, teachers that would say, you know, yeah, you need to learn how to do this. Like, you're not always going to have a calculator available to you. And it's right. like, <laughs> they told us that all, at least yeah, all yeah. the way through middle school, at least. Yeah, which yeah, I mean, hey. Most of high school, too, probably, you know, as much as we could do without the calculator. Yeah, I believe that, you know, obviously they thought that for good reason and didn't know we'd have a computer in our pockets that does more <laughs> right. than it's calculate like, oh God, yeah. <laughs> forever. It's, it's like, no, we don't actually. Yeah, you know. I mean, in a lot <laughs> yeah. of ways, it's like education is not necessarily about, like, you need to memorize this for your whole life, but basically just, like, how can you research and access the information you need yeah. when it's yeah. time, just like we talked about YouTube with mechanic earlier. Sure. Yep. Knowing mean, how to access that gosh. info. Yeah, interesting to think if... Yeah. If uh, you know, if a school curriculum was based simply on life school skills, like you said, it's amazing to me that we don't talk about like you know balancing your checkbook and banking and budgeting and stuff yeah. like that in school. Mm -hmm. And I, I mean, I even remember thinking that like, like shop class and home ec class and stuff. It's like those are the elective classes, and yeah. but really, I mean, you kind of just have fun in those classes, right? Yeah. But but those are actually some of the like most important practical sure. life skills courses anymore, you yep. know? You're likely to remember yeah. what goes on in those classes more yeah. than oh, yeah. an algebra it, class. <laughs> it's funny, when I when I got into the fire service, I soon, you know, some of the, the things that I learned in home ec, like uh, the stove is a, is a good thing, it'll get things hot, but you can take a hot thing and set it over here on this other burner that's not on, and it'll protect it from burning the counter or something, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. But I also learned that well, when I learned how to figure fire flows, 
how much water you're putting out at the end of a hose and started figuring that out, it's an algebra equation. Yeah. And I thought, so that's what that's for, you know? <laughs> and, you, and then once I learned that formula, then, hell, this is easy. Yeah. But Why it's couldn't a, I learn it 20 it's years the, ago? It was a way you took in the information. Exactly. Yeah, yeah the application it. factor. Because, yeah. yeah, I remember that, you know, like, uh, I guess another example is like my dad working for the city, for the water department. And so then there's, you know, extra tests and certifications you can get to for, I don't know, to go up the pay scale or to move to a higher position or whatever. And, and yeah, same thing. I mean, he's studying for this test and there's algebra questions because it's, you know, it's gallons per minute and sure. cubic feet per second and those, you know, volume of liquid and stuff like that. So yeah. there's instances where the algebra plays, but. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, going yeah. back to the calculator, I remember when we were in high school, we had to buy like these TI-84 calculators. and they'd be I have like a story for that. Don't let me forget. Like $100 for a calculator. Oh, yeah. And they just did everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My calculator story actually <laughs> still kind of makes me angry to think about because I had one of those, you know, like $100 graphing calculators that I got like in high school. I used it through college and everything, and I've held on to it. I haven't had to need to use the dang thing, but I've kept it since college thinking, you know, oh, my kid's coming through school, whatever, maybe they'll need it. And <laughs> it'll it get... be obsolete by then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, this just happened about two weeks ago, but I saved this calculator for, I don't know how many years now, just for, for my younger son to find it and end up dropping it in a toilet full of pee <laughs> and for it to be wasted. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah. I yeah. think, I think we actually have one <laughs> over at our house. Yeah. Maybe, well, uh... I need to borrow it when my kid's ready for it in five years. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> anyway. Well, Jack, yeah. it, was a, it was a pleasure to have you on. And I mean, we knew we were going to talk about the Iron Show and the Historical Society, but we got treated with a, a bunch of, you know, outdoorsman activities and the, your your military service. And I, I really had a good time. It was a, yeah, a treat to get to know you today. And I appreciate your time. And thanks for joining us. Oh, great. I'd be happy to send you some of those stories if you want. Yeah, we'll give you our contact yeah. info for the podcast. You can send us some of the your your writing. We'll be excited to hear that. And hopefully uh, we'll have a reason to bug you and get you on the show again here. Yeah, you bet. Be happy to. Right on. Thanks fun. for joining us, Jeff. Yeah.